Good morning. Here we are. Right now. With episode number two in our series. Mainstreaming Enlightenment. For the Andrew Lake podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake podcast, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. And I also said in the intro to the last episode that you could share your favourite series. There's quite a few series that we've done now. Probably my favourite is the Harry Potter commentary. Did a full series on Harry Potter. Also a full series commentary on Grace and Grit. That was 22 episodes. We did it chapter by chapter. And Grace and Grit is a great book by Ken Wilber. And there are also shorter series. I have a mini-series, which is also a five-part series, called The Astonishing, where we discussed... Astonishing Things. And today we continue this series, Mainstreaming Enlightenment. And it's very important that you have listened to the previous episode, because we're simply continuing on. And there's an important introduction for the series in that first episode, so make sure you listen to that before you listen to this. And today, I'd like to share something very, very simple. Very simple. Something that was really just a moment. It's so funny how such simple, small moments can mean so much. And the moment, the example, the cultural example that we have today was a wine advertisement. So I saw this billboard, well it wasn't really a billboard, it was more just a poster. It was one of those posters that was about the size of the side of a bus stop. It might have actually even been on the side of a bus stop, but I don't think it was. I was actually, I believe I was in the mall when I saw it. I was in the shopping centre. And it was an advertisement for wine, it was very clearly an advertisement for wine. And the slogan that was printed on this poster was simply this. Taste true freedom. It had those words in an elegant font, eloquent font, and then some sort of landscape picture of the vineyards and some slick insert of the brand of the wine and the wine bottle and a wine glass. And I don't remember the brand name. I don't remember it. Maybe it's in there subconsciously, and next time I go to buy wine, it will come out. But this slogan struck me. It really struck me that I was seeing this phrase printed on advertising material, right in the middle, in the very centre of the 
consumerist culture that we have that was the very epicenter. I mean, the malls, the shopping centers are the epicenters of consumerism. That's where it all comes together. That's where it all happens. Consume, consume, buy, shop. And it really is, well, quite an amazing imperative. And you take it just for what it is. Taste true freedom. The things around you are telling you what to do. The things around you are telling you what's good. They're telling you what you need. They're telling you both what you should be desiring and working towards and how to work towards it and how to fulfill that desire, how to get what you want and so on. And of course, if you're not attuned to the message, if you're not attuned to how things speak to you, you fall for it. You actually believe it. And you don't actually believe it in a sense of, oh, we believe it like we have a religious belief or it's part of our psychology or it's even part of a thought pattern. It's not even really a thought pattern. It's not as though you consciously walk around and say what things are because of the advertisement that you've seen about that thing. It's much more subtle. It's much more sneaky. It's the fish in water. It's the fish that is swimming and doesn't know what water is. And it's funny that, in some cases, in some people, when you actually try to say things explicitly, there's a defense. When you actually try to say what is good for you, how to get what you want, what is worth desiring, how to desire it, how to go about fulfilling that desire, and so on, then there's a kind of defense, there's a kind of resistance, which is, hey, stop telling me what to do. Hey, don't do that. Hey, I don't need your advice. And then in the, and in the case of mainstream culture, in the, in the case of advertising, there's a very clear message, which is in so many ways, quite frankly, wrong. And the reason it's so, or at least one of the reasons it's so captivating is that it pushes on to things that are very core and very profound to the human condition. They're fundamental to the human condition. Things like freedom. Things like genuine gratification. Things like security, peace of mind. Relaxation, bliss, 
fine tastes, exciting experiences, unique experiences, natural experiences. And this just says that, well, we actually want to have these things. Fundamentally, we do actually need to have these things in our lives. These core characteristics, these core drives within each human actually wants to come to fruition. It actually wants to flower. Because really, I mean, what can you argue? There's no arguing that these are good things. How could you say that truth, beauty and freedom are bad things ever? How could you say that genuine gratification is a bad thing? How could you say that peace of mind, bliss and security is a bad thing? Shouldn't we all want that? Shouldn't we all really have that? And don't we all need those things? And I can't really argue against that. But I can argue against how you get those things. How you experience those things. And I can see that there is a terrible deception in the things that are being offered up as the things that can fulfill those deep human intuitions, those deep parts of human nature. We might even say that these things are beyond humanity. It might even be that these things that I'm talking about, such as freedom, beauty, and truth, are actually things that we set outside the boundaries of humanity. And you have to go beyond humanity, and you have to become more than human. It's almost like saying, well, what do we call society? Do we call society the thing that we've got, the collective that is here, the collective that we're working with, the culture that we're within, we are within? Or do we say that society is the ideal, society is the best case scenario, And we haven't quite achieved it yet. We haven't quite got there. And actually, in many ways, we fail miserably to live up to the ideal. And furthermore, to talk of such things can be deceptive because of how simplistic words are. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Every time it's relevant, we need to remind ourselves again of how tricky it is that speaking of such generalizations and such complex things, such as civilization and the human condition, can be so deceptive, it's so limited by the words that we use. There is so much that gets lost, there's so much that is tangled up and it's possible even to be left with more of a tangle by talking in generalizations, by even trying to explain what's going on. So these products that we're being fed 
which we have all around us, which appeal to so many different parts of us in so many different ways, can't really be sidestepped or seen for what they are through an explanation. It's not enough to be able to look at an advertisement and have a more complex explanation as to what's really going on there. It's not as though you can say, advertising is bad, all advertising is bad. That's a trashy product. That's a terrible product. I'm going to renounce civilization. That's no way to live. That's no way to really understand what it means to have things appeal to your different parts. And there's really a lot in that. There's really, well, on the one hand, there is value in stepping out of your culture, stepping out of your society. And really, that's something that you have to do sooner or later. You have to experience another culture. And that's really the answer to how you deal with these things without simply just having a more complex explanation of it. You have to see it for yourself. You have to learn it experientially for yourself. And the only way you can do that is to go and swim somewhere else. Swim in water that is completely different. And then come back and then you'll see it. And in the extreme case, you become a monk. You actually withdraw from the world entirely. And it might be that you decide to do that just on a meditation retreat. You just do it for 10 days. Remove yourself from advertising for 10 days and then come back. Or go and be on a bushwalk. Go and do some camping. Something like this. And yet, further still, there is something to be enjoyed by certain products. You don't want to live a life without wine. You want to be able to enjoy wine. You want to be able to actually savor the things that are being sold to you as just another simple pleasure, as, as another thing in life that you can enjoy. Now, I've said before that how many times you do something and on what occasion you do something is, well, that's quite tricky. That's quite a big one in navigating your personal habits and your diet and the things that are influencing not just your behaviors and your tastes, but your biology, such as your foods and your drinks. It's quite tricky. It's quite, it's, there's like, when we're talking about habits and addictions, we get into a lot of different things that are very, very tricky to see through. Because you've also got not just habits of action and habits of taste, but also a taste palette and a perception palette which has been conditioned. And idealistically, well, we could say that you try everything once. Have you heard that slogan? Oh, I'll, I'll give anything a go at least once. I'll try anything at least once. 
And in some senses, that actually applies here. That's actually what we're talking about. You want to have a sense of tasting wine. You want to drink wine. You want to have that as a life experience, as one of your experiences. And then you could say, well, that's no real philosophy to live by. If you're only ever doing everything once, then what about the things you really like? Should you do them more often? And how is it that you could actually come up with something new every single day, every single moment, a new meal every single day? Dosta, that would take too much. That would be too much, too difficult. That kind of lifestyle. How would you create that lifestyle? Well, you can go traveling. Put yourself in a different place every day. And that pretty much does what I'm talking about with living a different thing every moment. But we do have to consider our entire lives. We have to consider the entirety of what we are. And that's where you have to gain the skills of seeing. You can't just have a motto to live by, like, I'll try everything once, to decide whether you want to drink wine or not. There's no motto to live by, in fact. There's no one silver bullet that fits for all. And that's what the conservatives get wrong. That's what the traditionalists get wrong in so many ways, in so many terrible ways. It's that they've got this thing which they've got solid and clear and set in their mind and they're trying to fit it onto everything else. And in the case of some traditions, they say, well, don't drink. Don't drink at all. Drinking wine is a sin, or even, if not excessively, temperance is to be observed. And even that doesn't help, because what you really need What you really need is the seeing skills. What you really need is to be aware of what it is that is having an impression on it and the thing that is doing the impressing. So when you see an advertisement, how does it affect you? And the answer to that is not an explanation that you've got from me or from anyone else. The answer you've got from that needs to be experiential as well as not just an explanation. And you can make a good start with coming up with your own explanation. That can actually offer quite a lot to you to show where you're at. But still further, you need to deepen that. You need to actually have that as, a, as an essence. And it's something that comes and goes. It's something that if you're in a city or a collective of humans day to day, will be difficult to maintain. It will be difficult to really even build in the first state in the first sense. And that's where meditation comes in. 
That's where self-awareness comes in. That's why it's so important. That's why it's so... I've said it before and I'll say it again and again. It's so important to meditate because that is your chance to actually look at the reaction. That is your chance to actually build the sense of seeing what's happening in that moment and moment to moment. And when I saw the wine advertisement, I thought, wow, that's actually good advice. Another thing I thought was that it's quite amazing that a wine advertisement could give me such a good feeling. So quickly, so, so deeply. And it's quite shocking that that's actually being used. It's actually quite shocking how effective advertising is. When you really remove yourself to it, it, it actually becomes quite raunchy. You know, what, you know what raunchy is? You know what it means to be just obtusely over the top? Well, you can get a sense of that. You can get a sense of how culture is like that. And wine, well, this wine advertisement was actually quite classy. Now, some things in our culture are quite cheesy. They are quite, how should I say? How should I say it in another way? They're quite obvious in how extravagant they are. They don't try and hide the fact of how extravagant they are. But something like a wine advertisement can have the appeal of, oh, this is a higher nature. This is classy stuff. And all of these sorts of appeals, these kinds of appeals, whether it's a extravagant impact or a classy sort of impact, it's all been meticulously designed. It's all been carefully thought out. Because there are teams of people, there are marketing teams that sit down and do profiles on, well, who it is that is going to buy this product, how do they think, what sort of values do they have, and how do we appeal to their inner nature. And you could say on, in one way that a lot of products are designed to appeal to your lower nature, and very few appeal to your higher nature. But even that is too simplistic. Even that as a, a kind of navigation of society doesn't entirely work because in the case of this wine advertisement, it's, it's actually appealing to freedom. And freedom we can put as a high value. It's actually a very exalted thing in, spiritual, in spirituality, in spiritual realms in the most fundamental way really freedom is one of the highest values there is and yet you can see how how tricky it is when it's applied to wine tasting 
And you could say, well, that's just me trying to sample everything. This is my freedom, is to be able to taste wine. So the wine advertising is right. It's correct. It does exactly what it says it does. Why should I try and resist? It seems to be perfectly reasonable. And this gets to another point, which is reconciling how dealing with consumerism might seem that you need to either say that it's all wrong or that there's something good about it and you're only taking the good parts about it. You can't, you can't just demonize it all. You can't just say that it's all false. It's not enough to do that. It's not enough to, it's not enough to get up and say, oh, oh, consumerism is terrible. Consumerism is bad. Stop shopping. Now, of course, there is a part in me, very big part in me, that wants to do that and does actually say that that's actually a very, it's actually a very intelligent approach. I think the last thing you probably need to hear me say is that it's okay to really give in to the consumerist society. You don't need any help with that. There's too much already pushing you in that direction. And so in some ways, as just a, as a rule of thumb, as just like a basic way forward, then you do want to actually say that you don't want to consume too much. And these products are not really worth what they're selling you for. But that's not to say that this entire metric of, oh, good and bad, or consumerism is the devil, is nuanced enough. It's not nuanced enough. You really have to be able to see how there is enlightenment in the mainstream. You have to be able to see the nuances. And I say see it rather than explain it. I say see it more than just being able to talk about it in your mind, in yourself. To yourself. You really need to be able to experience it. Experience is king. Experience is really, well, it's really, well, it's really everything, isn't it? How many times have I said that? And another thing you need to understand about these products is, well, what are they getting out of it? I mean, it's so removed from, it's so removed from a personal interaction. It's so removed from person to person. Now, back in the day, as sales and product selling happened, it would be that a person has made the product and then you come to them and you buy it from them and you see their face, you talk words to them, you know where they live. Well, you don't know where they live, you know where their shop, shop is. And 
the product has to work. It has to do what it's fulfilled to do. All service has to be as advertised, as understood in the agreement of the transaction of money for product, money for service. And if it didn't work, well, it would come back to be reconciled. You'd say, hey, you didn't, I want my money back, this sort of thing. Hey, you didn't do what you said you would do. You're a phony. You're a charlatan. And now what we have in our consumer society is the absolute opposite of that. So, so far removed in every single way. Because now you buy the product without even seeing anyone. You're not in the same room as anyone. You don't see anyone's face. You don't talk to anyone. There's no personal one-on-one reaction, interaction, I should say. And not only that, but the entire product is a mystery to you. You don't know where it was made. You don't know how it was made. You don't know what the initial inception was, like why it was made, like what was the initial conception, what was the initial idea, what was the initial reason for this product to be made. Why does this product exist? What was the vision of its founder? You get none of that. None of that at all. So you're literally stuck inside this bubble. You're stuck inside this thing which is feeding you all these things. And if and if just just imagine, ask yourself this question. I mean, what what would you talk about if you were buying a certain product from the person itself that directly made it? It might be that you're buying things that are mass-produced. It might be that you're buying things that have come off a conveyor belt. Now, some things you just buy, well, but you, because you need them. I just need shoes. Or I just need, I just need clothes. Or I just need a fork and spoon. There's a line of inquiry there which would open up quite a lot for you if you were to follow it. Well, why this shoe? Why now? Why in this way? Why this price? Why are you happy paying this price and not another? Why a shoe that looks like this? Why a shoe that is in this shape, this color, in this brand, in this style? with this so-called kind of function that it has, and so on. But for many of the products, for many of the things that we sell, or have been sold to us, I should say, these things are created so that they can make a quick product, a quick, a quick profit, I should say. These things are made so that Well, how do we get the most money for them? Profiteering really is the the essence of it. And the people that are behind the profiteering, they're not asking questions about, well, who's going to make it? Why is it being made? Who's going to consume it? At least not beyond the marketing department and the production department. 
and the delivery department or the logistics department. And so it's a very tricky world. It's a jungle out there, the consumerist world. It's a it's really quite tricky. And I'm here to tell you to, well, look out for it and to say that there is a way to see through them. And seeing through them does not mean just all of a sudden everything becomes the devil, everything becomes evil. It involves an entire complexion, an entire coming out of sleep, which means waking up, which means being able to see things not just differently, but differently again, and then differently again, and then differently again, and then also how they're connected and how they could be positive, how they could be negative. And how they could be something that you want to do, something you want to participate in at certain times. Because you know what you want. You know you want variety. You know it's okay for you to have varieties of taste. And yet also you're aware of your addictive behaviors. You're aware of what can suck you in and what you're a sucker for. Do you know what you're a sucker for? That's a real, that's a really good part of self-knowledge. That's a really deep part of your own self-knowledge. What are you a sucker for? You know this word sucker? I had a friend once where he'd call everything a sucker. He was working as a welder. He did metal works. So he did all sorts of kinds of welding, arc welding, oxy welding, TIG welding, all sorts of welding. It's fascinating, actually. And I learned a bit of my a bit of it myself from him. And he made all sorts of metal things, you know, doors for ships, hinges and frames and different things, all all sorts of things that were made out of metal. It was his business. He was a welder. And he called everything a sucker. He'd say, Hey, put this sucker on here, put that on there. Oh, this sucker is this, oh that sucker. And then he'd also call people suckers. He'd say, oh, that guy's a sucker. What a sucker. And of course he was, I don't know if he was really thinking quite deeply. (laughs) I don't know if he had a deep philosophical reasoning behind, behind calling someone a sucker. But we can say that to ourselves. Like, what are you a sucker for? Like, to be a sucker for something means you've been sucked in. It means you've seen the advertisement and you've gone wow that's amazing and then you've gone out and you've bought it and that's not even as far as being a sucker goes because when you're really a sucker you go out and you buy it you consume it and you actually believe it did what the advertising told you to do you actually believe it did what the advertising said it would do for you. Not only that just you've done what the advertising (laughs) told you to do, which is to buy the product. That's really being sucked in. That's being deeply sucked in. To be sucked in so much that you say, oh, yeah, I I know it's bad for me, but I really do like it. 
Oh, do you know that one? I know this is bad for me, but I really like it. How many things could you say that about in your life? And that gets at one of the things that is really important in being aware and knowing yourself, which is indulgence. You have to reconcile being a sucker and indulgence. And one of the things that fits that category is wine. It's good to indulge in wine on occasions, if that's your sort of thing. If that's what you know you truly do love to indulge in. And yet you should know when you've been sucked in. And I would wager that there are a lot of things you've been suckered into. A lot of things that you've fallen for. And those things you don't have any guilt for. Because you actually tell yourself that you do like them. You tell yourself you're indulging when really you're not indulging at all. You're actually punishing yourself. Because so many of these products... They're selling you a false indulgence. And there is also a bias towards quick association. And this is that the quicker the response, the easier it is for you to make a connection. The easier it is for you to make The association. For example, if someone's selling you food, they say that, well, this has a great taste. That's what they're trying to sell you on. Now, the taste is really only the the first step in the digestive process. Now, of course, there are products that say, oh, they digest well. It's like a well-being product. But to illustrate the point, what I'm trying to say is that the products that have immediacy to their result are with a certain bias to them. You say, this product is good, and then you have a sudden goodness in your mouth. It's the taste, it's immediate. You have a big taste, it's like a big sugary taste, or a big salt taste, or a big fatty taste. And then what you don't have is the thing that comes after, like how you digest it, how it goes into your stomach, through your intestines, through the liver, out the other end, and how you feel afterwards, even days after you've digested it. All of that you wouldn't associate with the product because you've only associated the taste. Now, this is a simplistic example. This is just a metaphorical, a metaphorical example. It applies to all products, not just the products that you're tasting. If you have a product that can give you a quick, ah, feel-good moment, then that's all you need. Product, use it, feel good. That's how quick it's got to be. And damn the consequences, damn the come down of that feel-good moment. Damn the terrible habits that are formed from those feel-good moments. Damn the, the mind-scrambling 
that comes. Hours, days, weeks, months after using that product, after having that product. So be on the lookout for those certain things. And I'll say again that it's not enough to just have more of an explanation. You do need to meditate. You do need to build the thing within you that can see for yourself how these things fit into the larger picture. Because ultimately, you do truly want, authentically, deeply, profoundly, at your very core, to taste true freedom. And that's all I have to say for now.